What good is the Word of God? I can teach you about Scripture all day long in its, in its authenticity as far as the fact that it is effective. It's, it's extremely effective in our lives. And, and we, can, we can talk about that till the day is long. But if we're not secure in that, right? I think about like Bitcoin. I don't know much about it, right? But currency, right? I go to money a lot because we understand finances. It's a great way for us to, to think about an example, but we put our money in, in where? Banks that are secured funding, right? There's, we think, something backing that. <laughs> if we all go to the bank and pull out all of our money, then we'll see if it's actually secure or not. But uh, we, we have confidence. Listen up, kiddos. Listen up. We have confidence in, 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 in that bank because they say that every dollar is backed and secured. So you have these currencies that are unregulated or unsecured, like, like a Bitcoin, I think, right? Is that one of them? Uh, where even illegal activity can take place and money can be moved uh, back and forth through these unregulated currencies. And you know what I say to that? That's risky business. What's worth $3 one day is... is you know, 25 cents the next. It's unsecure. So I feel like maybe the majority of us would say, I'm probably not going to take out my whole retirement and put it into an unregulated currency (laughs) in hopes that it will increase because the chances of it decreasing are real and then I would lose it all. That's the Christian who places their faith in something that is unregulated. Like, for instance, your works. I'm going to place my faith and trust in my good deeds, and that will get me somewhere. No, it won't, because our righteousness, the Bible says, is his filthy rags. It's an unsecured business venture for you to trust in yourself to get to heaven. And I guarantee you that you're two, three years, maybe even three days into it, and that trust will begin to deteriorate. The anxiety level will shoot through the roof as you are trying to work and trying to earn your way somewhere, and, and then you find that you're unable to follow through on your beliefs. How many, ever, how many ever made a New Year's resolution and didn't keep it? Come on, be truthful. Turn to your neighbor and say, I lie. <laughs> See what I mean? I'll bring, it, I'll bring it home on a New Year's resolution and all of us, immediately you, you smile, you snicker, and you know, man, I lost three pounds and then it was all out the window and I put five back on. Can I get a witness? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so the securing of our faith, when we put it in ourselves, it's an unregulated currency. Does that make sense? So when I preach today about Uh, the research in scripture where I find eternal security, my goal in wrapping this series up is for each and every one of you to go, I feel confidence in where my faith is. That's my goal. For you to walk out the door today and go, I am saved. I've put my faith and trust in Jesus. And I have confidence that, that when these end times, Brian, how are you? I didn't get a chance to see you before the service. When these end times roll out, When Jesus comes back for his second coming, which we talked about last week is going to happen, I'm secure. I'm ready. Let's go. You know, and a secure employee is a good employee. If you work somewhere and you feel like you could lose your job tomorrow, which, to be honest, any of us could find ourselves in that position. But if if we lose our jobs tomorrow and we have that in the back of our minds, how, how well will we work today? Right? Because we don't know if what we're putting into is going to be there for us tomorrow. We've been there, right? We've all been there. 
The same as the Christian who is unsure about his employer, about his creator who has called him to do a work. And if your faith and trust is not secure in him eternally, then your actions tomorrow will dictate that. You won't feel the importance to get out of bed and hit your knees. You won't feel the importance to get out of bed and, and witness and love that coworker or love that enemy. A secure believer is a good believer. We call those Christians. So my heart goes out to all of the people that are in the church collectively that are a part of a church, that are saved, that believe in Jesus, but somewhere along the lines, their doctrine, because they didn't do their research, has split and they believe that they can lose their salvation. Do you know it exists? There are people that believe that they could be saved today and lost tomorrow. Is that any way to live? Not as a believer. I don't want to live that way. So I want to prove to you from Scripture. I want to give a declaration just like I have for the whole series. And I want to prove to you from Scripture that that's not true. uh, And that we can be secure in our faith. Turn to John chapter 6 verse 37. That'll be the first place I'm going to go. But I'm going to read my declaration first. John chapter 6 verse 37. Here's my declaration. We believe here at Bethlehem that all the redeemed, once saved, are kept by God's power and are secure in Christ forever. That's my declaration. That kind of sums it up. We believe that all the redeemed, once saved, are kept by God's power and are secure in Christ forever. The scriptures would be John 6, 37 through 40, John 10, 27 through 30, Romans 8, 1. Romans 8, 38 through 39, 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 8, 1 Peter 1, 4 through 5. No need to turn to those. All of those scriptures detailed the idea of eternal security, the idea that we, once are saved, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, are always saved. We believe that it is the privilege of the believers to rejoice in the assurance of our salvation through the testimony of God's word. Which, however, clearly forbids, and here's where I think I'm going to lose a lot of you today, clearly forbids the use of Christian liberty as an occasion to the flesh. And we're going to hit on that in detail at the end. Romans 13, 13 through 14, Galatians 5, 13, which is probably one of your favorite passages. I hear you mention Galatians a lot. Pastor Ray does. Titus 2, 11 through 15. So that's the statement. Once saved, always saved, right? That's the cliche statement. Uh, once secure, always secured. And we can take that to the bank. That check will always cash, right? So, uh, last night, man, I just, I've been thinking about that a lot. Six, was it six o'clock? Six o'clock, there was a funeral service that uh, some of you were at, and uh, they buried 27-year-old um, young man, 27-year-old, shot and killed. Shot and killed. Totally like unrelated. It was like some kind of drive-by shooting. He was working, construction worker in the house. Bullets fly, 27 years old. And there was a man, his name was Mr. Craig, and he knew the family. And I was talking to Mr. Craig last night before the funeral. He spoke as well. I preached the gospel. And then, you know, he kind of shared some memories and things. But he said, you know, I've always tried to live Christ in front of him. I've always tried. He was not a professing believer. But my faith is, is in the fact that in his dying moments, laying there, that he found Christ. That he knew 
that what I had said was true. I, I read a book. I'm kind of hitting some things. I'm, I'm getting going somewhere with this, but read a book, um, amazing book. Every one of you should read it, but it's called the, the Gospel Comes with a House Key. Just finished it up a couple weeks ago. And the author was Rosaria Butterfield. And she said her mother was a staunch atheist her whole entire life. But towards the end of her life, she moved her into her home and showed her mom the grace of God every day, the way she cared for her, the way she uh, loved her, even though her mother was still divisive and, and hateful. All the way up until her mother's last breath, as hospice was called in, her mother finally sees in death there is no pride. In death there is no, this is what I accomplished. There is only you returning to dust or you returning to your Creator. Realizing how feeble she was in her own beliefs and her own faith that she did not have, on her deathbed realized that all of life pointed to this one moment where she could find trust and faith in her Creator, Jesus Christ. And she turned her life over to the Lord. Deathbed confession. There's a popular book of deathbed confessions of, of saints departing into the eternal world and others that had turned their life over to the Lord right at the end and some that died and went to hell because they held on to their works all the way to the end. So I say all that to say last night when I preached this funeral room, I mean, probably a couple hundred people in there. I don't know. I mean, there was quite a few. Um, but I shared... I shared my hope that in his last moments, he had turned his heart and faith and trust over to the Lord. That's my hope. I, I was standing there preaching to them. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that I'm to comfort you with the words that when we pass on and sleep or, or die, that we are to be present with the Lord if we are saved and trust Christ. So that's my hope. But it's amazing when, when we're in those situations how quick we turn to the Lord. How quick we turn to a God that wasn't there yesterday. How fast we run to the eternal when the temporal gets shaky. So I just, in light of that last night, I was thinking about eternal security, and I was just thanking the Lord for my own faith. As I'm preaching, I'm preaching from a place of confidence. Not in myself and in my works. I'm preaching in confidence in my God. And that's what I want for you. I want you to realize that no matter what comes your way, life is... is Life is rocky at best sometimes. But our hope is not in this life. It is in the next. So my declaration is that we believe that once we are redeemed and saved, that God keeps us by his power and we are secure in Christ forever. How many of you, just by way of testimony, have put your faith and trust in Jesus? That's the majority of, of you in this room. Fantastic. So I just want to breathe life into you this morning. I want to speak life into your faith. And I want to sure that up. John 6, 37 through 40. John 6, 37 through 40. I have some, I'm going to read a lot of scripture. Engage your minds. Put it right here into the text. And let's learn together this morning. John 6, 37 through 40. How do we believe in eternal security? How do you believe, Pastor Matt, that you can put your faith and trust in someone that you've never seen? And you know, like, Everyone texts is like 100, you know what I mean? Just kidding, I got to mess with these young people up here. I know 100, my God, 100 and nothing left, 100. Anyway, he's going to come through. How do you know that? 
because God's word is authentic and it's genuine. And he has given us that gift of his word. And the Bible says it is more short. You're saying you're going to use the Bible to prove the Bible? Absolutely. Because it's a miracle. Show me another book that was written over 1,500 years, 40 different authors, 66 different books, and there's not one contradiction. I could tell her, I could tell Bethany something in her ear, and she could tell Douglas the same thing that I said. By the time it gets to Brandon in the back, how many, how many believe it's going to be a different story of what I told her? And that's in a matter of 10 seconds. You want to try it real quick? <laughs> you know what the answer is going to be. Now stretch that message over 1,500 years. That's, that's the window that the Bible was written. And tell me it's a contradiction. Through faithful and careful study of God's word, all what are perceived as contradictions can be faithfully resolved as one beautiful story of redemption. And I would challenge anybody that says, Pastor Matt, that's a contradiction. Great. Phenomenal. That means you're thinking. Let me help you navigate that and walk through that. And I'm going to tell you that the word of God is faithful and it's genuine and that it's a miracle that we have it. Why? Because God gave it to us. So that's what I'm putting my stake on. John 6, 37 through 40. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. I have this underlined in my Bible. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise. What's the next two words? Turn to your neighbor and say, throw him out. Just kidding. I wake you up. For I came down from heaven not to do mine, what is it? Own will. Ooh. But the will of him that sent me, and this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that all which he hath given me, I shall lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And that's what First Thessalonians 4 is talking about. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone, say everyone, Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. <laughs> Everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. So you're going to take my words for it? Or are you going to take the word of God? The fact that he going to raise you up. He raised me up. Just kidding. <laughs> oh man, I'm in a weird mood today. <laughs> He will raise us up in the last day. He will. Why? This is what I love about the picture of the Godhead. And for some of you that have been with me through this whole series, remember the Father sending His Son to pay, right? To pay the penalty for sin. And the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us is the what? Do you remember? It's the down payment for this temple. The Holy Spirit of God sealing us unto the day of redemption. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are working together to make sure that he loses not one. We sing this song, Reckless Love. Why do I have a moment every time we sing it? Because he leaves the 99 to get me. Why? Because he was given, watch this, a task, a job. You are the Son of God. You will go down and you will purchase back the church, the bride. He will be yours. You will work to save her. Do you understand that is how God looks at you? You're his priceless possession that he gave all to save. And how do you believe, how do you come to the conclusion, I'm so getting ahead of myself, that you can lose that? Oh, let me help you, because you're saying you have to do it. What part of John 6 said that you are securing your salvation? It's like going to dinner with a, with, with a bunch of uh, elitists that are running the world. 
If I just got some like random private message on Facebook that said, show up, you know, at this dock in Baltimore, right? And there's a private yacht going to pick you up and you're going to go out and meet these people and you're going to talk about your faith with them. I'd be like, skirt. <laughs> but the, the, the thing is, is I would enter onto that private yacht, just some fabricated story, right? And, and, and I would be eating and drinking with them and talking. And, and at some point, if someone handed me a bill, I would say, um, <laughs> you invited me. This is your party. I don't have, uh, you know, I got a little piggy bank at home. With, it might pay for like one appetizer. But the point is, is in certain situations in life that, that maybe I would be invited to, if I'm the guest, I understand the role of a guest. My mother and father taught me, you don't, you don't be loud, right? We all know how to act when, when we're not that one, that person. Some of us have never learned that. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I love you. I love you. You know I love you. <laughs> got him. No, just kidding. But here's the point. I, I would have this, I would have this understanding that, that I'm there, I'm going to keep quiet, similar to what I teach my children. Don't speak unless spoken to. Right? Because that's the idea. I'm on somebody else's dime. I've been invited. I'm here as a guest. And they are taking care of all of those things that, for all practical purposes, I couldn't take care of. That's your salvation. It is way above your pay grade. We could not buy it. We could not purchase it if we wanted it. We can all dream. We can all hope. Man, I love to have fill in the blank. Your wildest dreams is heaven. Your wildest dreams is eternity. Your wildest dreams is for someone to invite you on this crazy yacht and to ride around the heart and be spoiled for an evening. That is nothing compared to your eternity that God bought for you. You are seated in the heavenlies. This world, the devil can only try to fabricate, can only try to paint a picture of something that you think you would like, something you think would be an amazing life to live. God gave you so much more than that. And we're just a little peon. (laughs) We're just a little speck of dust in the middle of it that he chose to love and that he chose to give us all these things. So now think about John 6. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Now don't you feel like a sheep? Now don't you feel like a dumb sheep? We, what happens with sheep? You open the gate, and they walk through it. Here I am. We're sheep. The shepherd is leading us. Now you have a whole new perspective on Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, which means you are a what? Thank you. Bat. Everybody go bat. You're a sheep. We're in the middle of this arena called eternity and we got nothing to do with it. God is up here pulling the strings. The father said, son, go make a way. The son said, I'll bring them all back to you, father. And all that you bring to me, not one, not one will I miss. They're all coming to the table. They're all going to experience the table that you have prepared. The end of Psalm 23. So when people say, man, you're going to lose your salvation. (laughs) I'm just a speck of dirt in the middle of this whole thing. I'm so glad God loved me. I'm so glad he saved me. But I got nothing to do with this. This is his show. This is God orchestrating this thing. And how am I going to change what God is doing? Does that make sense? And I'm not trying to diminish your self-worth. Because if you turn that on its head and say... Wow, 
the God of the universe set his love and affection on me, that must mean that I'm worth loving. It's all in how you look at it. John 10, 27 through 30, look at it. Go there. John 10, 27 through 30. I think I just preached half my message, darn it. That's what happens when I walk away from my notes. John 10, 27 through 30. (laughs) I'm going to just gloss over this one because you'll obviously see that I hit it. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they what? Uh Uh-huh. I give unto them. Who? I. Who's that talking about? That's right. Eternal life, and they shall what? Guys, when one sheep leaves the 99, do the 99 sheep go save the one sheep? We got this. (laughs) Open the gate. We're going to go get him. No. I got a twisted sense of humor, I know. But the, the thing about sheep is that if the sheep are going to get the other sheep, as soon as sheep two through ninety two through one hundred go to get said sheep one, two through one hundred become lost sheep as soon as they leave the what? I'm gonna go get Byron. Ah, pretty tree. Sheep three, I'll go get Byron. Oh, pretty rock. Do you understand? Sheep are sheep. Sheep are easily distracted, easily manipulated, easily killed. That's why Paul warned the church against false teachers. That's why no, no, you know, it's no mystery that Satan will have one of the major pillars of what some believe to be the tribulation is the false prophet to bring strong delusion. Sheep don't go find sheep. That's why, once again, I'm, I'm trying to bring doctrine behind these songs. I don't just get up here and get happy when we sing Reckless Love or Open Up the Heavens. I'm thinking about, oh my goodness, I was lost. He came to me. When I could not go to where he was, he came to me. Mm-mm-mm. So we get the picture here. Look at, uh, I think it's verse 27 shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Watch this. Any man. My Father which gave them me is greater than, next word? All. Look at it. John 10. Look at the Word of God. John 10, 27 through 30. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Church, this is why we can love our enemies. This is why we can go the next step. Why? Because we are not securing our future. We're going with the confidence of the Father and the Son. Listen to this. The Godhead is at work bringing, saving, and keeping. Why is my faith eternally secure? Take this to the bank, church. John 6, John 10. The Godhead is at work bringing, saving, and keeping. Watch this. Man is hearing and following. What is God doing? Bringing, saving, and keeping. All that my Father shall bring to me, I will not lose one. Right? So God is bringing, say bringing, Bringing. saving, Saving. keeping. Man is hearing. Hearing. Aha, that's where we get you. I got to do what? (laughs) I ain't trying to listen. Man is hearing. Hearing. Come on, hearing. hearing and following. That's a tough one, isn't it? The thing about a sheep, though, is once it's led, it should go. 
They, there are they that wish us not to follow. But watch this. God is greater. That's what the end of verse 10, end of chapter 10, verse 30 says. I and my Father are one, and they are greater than all. Go to Romans 8, 38 and 39. I'm giving you some scripture. I'm going to learn you one. Come on, go to Romans 8. Romans 8, 38 through 39. I hope you're marking these. I hope you're highlighting them. When you feel like you're not a child of God tomorrow because of your circumstances or because of a man, or because of a bully, or because of a fill-in-the-blank, you can go right here to Romans 10 and say, nope, my God's greater than you. My God is saving me. My God is keeping me. Look at Romans 8. This is one worth shouting about. For I am persuaded that neither death, I could stop right there, every funeral, every heartache, we blame God for it in some instances, but God says that will not keep you from me. Right there, you can stop right there and have confidence to tell your coworker, confidence to tell your family member that's stricken with death. That's, why would God do this? And you can look right at them and say, that's not greater than God. I understand the pain. I understand the hurt of losing a loved one. But that person, to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. If we have trusted and put our faith in Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, death does not separate us from Him. We mourn a loss but we celebrate their game, church. It's all about perspective. Why did God take them? Because they're with God if they're saved. They're doing a hop, skip, and a jump down streets of gold. They're waiting on the day when Jesus comes back for His church. And let me tell you something. We're all going to be together again. Death does not keep us. For I am persuaded that neither death or life. What is life thrown at you? What is life tossed at you? What has come your way this week? What feelings of anxiety, of depression? What, what has got you? What has pinned you against that rope and it just keeps throwing you back and you're trying to fight your way out of the corner? God, Paul said, I'm persuaded that life is not going to keep me. Or angels or principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. He covers all his bases. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, nothing shall separate us from God. Why do I believe in eternal security? Because I believe in my God. And I believe that there's not one thing on the face of the planet in this life or the next that will keep me from His love. His love constrains me. Paul said, the love of Christ keeps me or constrains me. we got to own that today. We have to believe that. 1 Peter 4, 4 through 8. Go there. 1 Peter 4, 4 through 8. Man, this is a lot of scripture. Yep, that's what's going to keep you. 1 Peter 4, 4 through 8. I'm not up here to read a couple poems and to get you all emotional. And you to come back and say, man, that preacher, he's got a good message. No. I got a good God with a great Bible that has great truth. It ain't about me, church. It's about this book. So I brought my, one of my old Bibles to the pulpit. I used it last night, and I thought, I'm going to preach with that. I'm not going to read from it because all my stuff's pasted into my sermon. <laughs> Just kidding. Maybe I'll read one. But uh, this book, I've had this one for a little while. I've got to get it rebound. This will save you. This will keep you. You've got to believe in it. First Peter 4, 4 through 8. This was before tablets. Can you tell? This is before tablets. Oh my goodness. Maybe we need to go back to that. 
to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved, oh my goodness, in heaven for who? Nobody's looking at it. 1 Peter 4, verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible. That means moth rust doesn't corrupt. Remember that verse? Undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for for you. Thank you, Miss Phyllis. I appreciate you and your scripture reading ministry. It's reserved for you. For you. How many how many of you heaven's never been a personal place? It's it's just been a place. It's been where God is. You've never thought of it as for you. You mean you've done all this for me? When the wife gets home from work, just kidding, when the husband gets home, whatever the situation you have. I remember a couple weeks ago, I told my wife, I'm like, you just chill. And I made dinner. And she actually ate it. (laughs) I know. But it was all about just let me prepare something for you. Let me take some time. And she, she winked at it. I, I made uh, this salad for the chicken to set on top of that was made out of squash and kale, right? Fresh ingredients. My neighbor owns shore produce. So she often comes and gives us some fresh ingredients. So I thought, kale, squash. My parents had just been there, so there were some fresh vegetables and things in there. Some green beans for the side. And I thought, I'll, I'll make dinner. I'll prepare this for you. But I didn't know that the stems and kale don't get soft when you cook them. <laughs> so I'm all just chopping them up, throwing them in there. So when we went to eat it, it was like, uh. But you know what? What made it okay was the fact that she knew I did it for what? For her. The reason why we're not secure in what we have in our faith is that we don't realize that this is for you. God has you specifically in mind. That blows my mind. Look at it. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice now for a season. If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Is that any of you? What does that mean translated into 2018? You're going through a hard time. How many of you are going through a hard time? You don't have to raise your hand. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love. Ooh. In whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. That is eternal security summed up. You're going through a struggle. You're going through a trial. And it's like the purification process of gold. Something that comes out beautiful. But even more than gold that perisheth, your soul is worth significantly more because your value comes from God and He placed the value of His Son's life, Jesus, on you. Therefore, you will never perish. Therefore, you will always be significant. Therefore, heaven is for you. Because I gave my greatest treasure for it. What does that mean? Eternally secure believers are believers that say, I am am worth everything. 
I'm worth the most costly thing on this earth that could not even come close to value of Jesus Christ. Why? Because you're worth what someone will pay for you. You know, something that was, my wife's like really been into pianos her whole life. She plays. She doesn't play in here. One of these days she will. Many years of lessons, and she's really into piano specifically. So now that, you know, we got a little space, we're not in a row home, and, uh, you know, we're looking to, to get a piano. So she's been on, uh, been on Facebook looking, and she found a Steinway. I think that's how you say it. Really costly pianos for free. <laughs> and there are things that you look for in a, in a piano, whether it maybe is a knockoff kind of thing or if the, I think it's a soundboard has been replaced that can devalue. But the point is, is our possessions really are only worth what someone is willing to what? Pay. That's how you determine worth. So when we go to purchase or when you go to sell, maybe it's something that was your grandmother's. Maybe it's something that was your grandfather's. And in your mind, you just can't seem to part with it. Because what someone's willing to pay seems so insignificant to what it's worth to you. But think about this. More than that, whether you feel worth it or not, regardless, God paid the ultimate price of His Son. Think about the fact that you have children. You have sons and daughters. What could that buy? What would you give the life of your son? Anything in this world? Absolutely not. I'd kill for my children, much less giving one of my children for something else. We all can track with that. But yet we gloss over the fact that Jesus paid the ultimate price of giving his son. You're of significant value. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled and it fadeth not away. How do we turn the corner on this? Eternal security. I hope that today you're feeling maybe some worth, maybe some value, hopefully. The devil does his best to tear you down and to make you feel like you're not able because you're not. But the fact is, is we have someone that is so much greater than him. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Here's my thought to you. We have an inheritance that is a sure thing. So if all of this is true, then why do Christians doubt and waver? If everything I'm telling you is fact, take it to the bank, then why do Christians fault and waver? What if I opened it up to you real quick? If what I'm saying is true, you're secure. Your eternity is in heaven. Nothing's going to change that. Then why aren't we faithful to God? Yes, ma'am. Twisted. He tries to tell us what we know isn't true. Somebody tell me another one. Why the flesh? So put that in the vernacular, I know what you mean, but put that in something that everybody would understand. What do you mean by saying flesh? We have faults. Somebody else. We're weak. Yeah. 
It's true. You have an eternal inheritance. Why would we falter? Why would we not believe that? Why would we fall short of that? Somebody else. Doubt. Why would we doubt it? It's the word of God. We do, absolutely. But why? Fear. Carmen? Mm. Yeah, it's not right in front of us. Remember Romans 8? Things present and things to come. Steve? Human nature. Similar to what Jim said, right? Who said it? We're sinful. Human nature. How do we overcome that? Because in, in this process of being saved and eternally secure, it had nothing to do with our sin nature. It had everything to do with the power of the blood that saved us. What, what on our end got us there? What did Peter say? Our job was, ha, I wrote it down. Man's is hearing and what? Following. How do we follow? We believe. Faith cometh by and hearing by the word of God. So how do we shore this up to where eternal security plays out in our lives? It's something that we live. Like, like we talked about earlier, that employee that knows that they have a good job. They're going to do their job what? Well. Like Carmen said, how does this become something in the present? How do we do that, church? Don't you want to live with victory in your life? Don't you want to live the victorious Christian life? Or do you want to live the doubtful, beaten down, fear-driven Christian life? Which one? A or B? A. How do we make that happen? This, this, what I, this is the last, this is it. The last landing strip of the research series. And I, and I want to land on this to where you feel that confidence in your eternal security to live right and to live well. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Go there. Galatians 5, 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the what? Flesh. 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 Remember what we're saying. Probably the number one thing that you all said. We're sinners. We fall. So, so God says, you've been called to this liberty. We just spent the whole first, you know, 90% of the message saying that we are called to this liberty. Saying that we have an amazing God who has saved us unto a life everlasting. And that the present does not have power over it, Romans 8. So we have been called to that liberty. And, and we need to live in that liberty. But we cannot use that liberty as an occasion For the flesh. So when we're not feeling eternally secure, what are we doing? We are using that liberty as an occasion for the flesh. We are saying, God's paid for all my sins anyway. I'm eternally secure and I can go live the way I want to live because he's already paid for it. Then comes fear and doubt and anxiety. Why? Because your liberty was not for you to live the way you wanted to live. And when you choose to live in the flesh, you're choosing to live in your anxiety. You're choosing to live in your fear. You're choosing to live in the things that that eternal security has not secured. Did God secure your sin? No, he paid for it. 
He took care of it. So when you live in it, you're using your liberty as an occasion for the flesh. Ooh. Man, it was really good when I had all them good feels, Pastor Matt, about how I'm saved and I'm eternally in heaven and he's got a place for me and that's so beautiful. But now you're trying to say that that should cause me to live a different way? Uh Uh-huh. We do. Wah, wah, wah. You mean this is going to come with an actionable item at the end? Oh, gosh. Like everything else at work. Yes. Look back in the text. Verse 14. For all the law. Oh, no, no, no. I missed the best part of the verse. Go back. uh, Verse 13. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But what does it say? By love serve one another. So there's the opposite end of the spectrum. For all the law, verse 14, is fulfilled in one word, son. Even in this, thou shalt what? Love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, family reunions, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Watch this. This I say then. Walk in the what? Spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is what you all were talking about. For the, lo- for the flesh lusteth against the spirit. Here's, the, here's the, the battle. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one toward another. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Watch this. But if ye be led by the spirit, ye are not under the law. Church, I have two things that I want to help you with. Two, two things that I think will bring this home for you. Here's the first one. Don't be self-serving. Don't be self-serving. I'm eternally secure in all that I have in, in Jesus. Seated in the heavenlies. He's paid for my price. I have a home in heaven. But you don't love others around you. Here's what Galatians is saying. You are using your liberty as an occasion to sin. How many Christians have we seen that use their Christianity as leverage to be mean? Watch this. That's why you're not eternally secure. You're living in the flesh. How do, how do, how do you know? Because you're not loving one another. You can't have one without the other. So what's the point? I'm going to drive this home in a way that I promise you, uh, you've never understood or heard before if, if you're still in this hypocritical, you have to check this list off type mindset. The point is, is not, I'm coming to church, I'm doing good, I'm raising my kids this certain way, and they're all mine and their P's and Q's. I read my Bible every day, I pray every day, I do all these things. My life is good, I'm eternally secure. Huh, yeah. Mm. Spiritual recruiting for God's army, boom. Do you understand? That's how we view Christianity. Paul said, wait a minute, let me show you how I view it. Are you loving one another? Because if you're loving one another, then you're being led by the Spirit. All those things are are, are just peripherals. They're preferential. They may or may not fall into the categories that you think are important in Scripture. Those are tier two issues. What's tier one? I'm loving I love my neighbor. I love my family. I love, here it is, my enemies because God commanded me to do it. And if I'm going to be led by the Spirit in my eternal security, Galatians says, I'm going to lead with love. 
Are you eternally secure or are you using your liberty as an occasion for the flesh? Let me just ask you this one question. How's your love game? That's what Galatians says. Church, do not be self-serving. If you're serving yourself, are you serving others? Oh, but I know. I got this. I'll serve them because I feel better about myself. My self-esteem is low, so I'm going to help someone else's self-esteem so that I get a little boost myself. (laughs) Am I serving myself or am I serving others? Uh Uh-huh. And if you were here on Wednesday night where we talked about the prodigal, this would be an older brother syndrome. Church, don't be self-serving. How does eternal security play out in that? That's your liberty playing out in your life, how you're loving. Can I just have a little fireside pastor moment with you real quick, a little fireside chat? Mm -hmm. We are some selfish sons of guns, aren't we? Uh-uh-uh. And y'all know I'm speaking to myself here. I confront it every day. Don't, don't be self-serving. You, you gotta fact check yourself. Look in the mirror. Why did I just help that old lady across the street? That's the cliche one, right? Why did I hold that door? Why did I do that for my boss? Why did I clean the church? Why did I serve as a greeter? Why did I answer the question? Was it for you? Why did I do that for my wife? Was it for you? Self-serving. We've got to get past this. Our eternal security, Galatians says, is to not be used, our liberty should not be used as an occasion for our own self-serving agenda. Man, Mm-mm-mm. that's real. That's raw. That's some sushi. That's some spiritual sushi right there. Boom! Uh. I think we should coin that one. Spiritual sushi. Don't be self-serving. Here's the last one. Titus 2, 11 through 15. I'm just going to read this and you'll, you'll know right where I'm going with this. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. All men. We all have a chance. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Do we see the theme here, church? What, what all of you were saying. We should live soberly righteously and godly. According to Galatians, what does that mean? It means we are what? Come on. Which is, which we're living in spirit, which means we're doing what? We're loving. That's what that means. We're loving. In this present world. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, Carmen. Do you see that word? present. Carmen's right. We don't live presently in the love of God. So therefore, out of sight, out of mind. Looking for that blessed hope 
and that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that we, he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. You know I'm peculiar. You know I'm strange. Just kidding. Zealous of good works. Things that speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Here's my last thing. Don't live in the past. Church, don't be self-serving. I'm, I'm, we're going to start a thing that says stop it. Okay? When you see someone doing something for themselves, you just say stop it. Don't do that. And then we're just going to question each other. Just kidding. We're not going to do that. Don't be self-serving. And don't live in the past. The Bible says there in Titus that it is in this present world what Galatians and Titus teaches us is that we are, when we are living for ourselves, we are not loving others. We can therefore say that when we are living in sin, then we are living, watch this, in the past that Jesus has paid for and in turn are taking advantage of the liberty that we can, be, that we can have by accepting bondage in the things that we keep from, that we keep us from fulfilling our calling of love. Get pumped up about loving with the love of God. He gave himself to redeem us. He wants us to get excited about being able to do and be good again in him. So let's just bring this whole thing to pass. I can be good. I can love. Absolutely. I can love. I can be led to be good in Jesus. Why? Because of what this is saying. I am in this present world looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing. I'll challenge you with this. What does love mean to you? What does it mean to be loving others? And I I want you to do this. I want you to research your own heart. Have you checked it and made sure that you're not doing it for self-serving reasons? Have you? Are you, are you loving with a love that is in exchange for something else? Then watch this. According to the Bible, you're living in the flesh. Therefore, you're living in the past. They got somewhere they got to be. Everybody look at them. Just kidding, just kidding. Don't do it. I love you guys. They, they already told me. You, you got to make this connection, though. Stay engaged. You're loving, but you're loving for self-serving reasons. You're living in sin. You're living in the past. Does that make sense? And what did Jesus pay for on the cross? Your past. What does it mean to be living in the present, what Titus said? Living in the Spirit. Why does that make sense? All the research series for this moment. If you're saved, if you're a child of God, then you're living in the Spirit. That means you're laying up for yourselves treasures in. That means you're loving with the love of Christ. That means you're loving with an eternal love. That means when I say, hey, I love you. 
Hey, I want to do for you. Hey, I want to give you the shirt off my back. Just like Jesus, when he called those to follow him, he said, go sell everything that you got and follow me. Why? Because I don't want any ounce of self in what I have for you in your future. Because if you bring you, if you bring your sin nature, you're using the liberty that I bought and paid for as an occasion for the flesh. And that has no place in eternity. The only thing that belongs in eternity is my love. The only thing that belongs in heaven is me and you forever on the grounds of what I did to save you, not the grounds of what you're doing to save yourself. Uh. Titus, think about it. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. What does that mean? Stop living in the past. In your marriage, in your children, in your church. We have to move forward in the Spirit. What does that look like? Love. How do I know if it's right? When there's a problem, when there's a rub, you're okay with it. When God chooses to bless someone else over you, you're happy for them. That's a fruit of the Spirit. But how many of us, we encounter those rubs and we just can't get over it? Oh, I just can't get past it. Don't be self-serving. And watch this. Don't live in the past. I want a church. Maybe I'm living in some kind of utopia. I don't know. I just, I just want a church where we all are living for the kingdom. We're all excited about this present world. Can you, can you do me this favor? Can you just pray this week? God, help me not to be self-serving. And God, help me not to live in the past. What does it mean to live in the future? To live in the present the way God wants me to live? It means that we're loving each other with His love, not our own. How many want to see your marriage go to the next level? Come on. How many want to see your kids be raised for the the goodness of God? How, How many want to see that? How many want to reach your neighbor with the gospel? How many want to reach your coworkers? You know, here's the thing. How many of you just have a desire to just feel like you're living for God for once in your life? I just want to have that desire that I feel connected. I feel like I'm living in the present. Here it is, church. Here it is. It's right in front of you. Don't be self-serving. Don't live in the past of your sin. Just say, Jesus Christ, I want to live in your spirit, which means I want to love unconditionally. There's nothing holding you back. He's paid for the price. He's bought your eternity. Now live in that eternity. Now make deposits in that eternity with His love. Son, it's such a simple concept. But it can be difficult sometimes. You feel what I'm saying? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm eternally secure. I got this thing on lockdown. Are you loving Are you loving? How's your love doing? Well, um, I love them, but if they, if they, then it's got conditions. You can't put conditions on unconditional love. You can't love with the love of Christ and be led in the Spirit if you're expecting something in return. 
An eternally secure believer is a believer that says, my inheritance, my way is bought and paid for. I'm just here along for the ride. If God chooses to embarrass me, if God chooses to use me in such a way that is a Job-like experience, he's okay to do that because he's unconditionally paid the price. I'm going on his ticket, and that's the only ticket that we can live in to produce real love. I'm just, I'm tired of, of the devil's sense of love. Church, all the things that this world is trying to tell you that love is, it's garbage. I promise you, you've never experienced the love of a spouse unless you've loved with Jesus' love. If you've never experienced a marriage bathed in God's love, then you haven't experienced what marriage should be like. If you haven't raised your children in that love, then you're doing yourself and your children a disservice. Boy, what could God do with a little church plant down in Bully's Quarters of secure, a bunch of secure believers? There's a little group of believers that are eternally secure in me and they're living with radical, reckless love because they're not concerned about their future. They're living in the very present that I gave them. Can we just make that commitment? God, I want to live in that love.